Hello and welcome to episode 24 of the Long Shot Podcast. We are chugging along. We're of course brought to you by 342 Productions. I am your host, Duncan Robinson, and I am here with Davis Reed. And unfortunately, we're back to being virtual. Yes, but we are back, which is which is a positive. And I'm back in Kansas City, which is nice. This is home, man. Yeah, I mean, I guess we, the fact that we're back is what's most important. Uh, right. Davis decided he had more important things to do than be on the West Coast with me. Very selfishly decided to go back to the Midwest. I cut him a little bit of slack because his wedding is on the horizon. And as forgiving as his fiance Casey is, uh, understandably, it makes sense for them both to be together for this time leading up to the fantastic day that is soon to be upon us. Yes, very true. Well, thank you for your understanding. I appreciate it. Uh, we had a little bit of a pit stop before I was back to Kansas City. On my way west from California, we stopped in Vail, Colorado to get a golf round in. Uh, and you and I left Vail victorious. Yeah, we did. Uh, it was a great matchup. Um you know, it was just a classic underdog story. I think a lot of people were, uh, you know, feeling that we didn't have a chance. It was one of those kind of uh, instances where you really rely on your teammate. You know, there was right. a lot of trust that was built, I think, throughout the round. Uh, and all in all, it was just a, a very enjoyable weekend uh, in uh, the great state of Colorado. Yeah, it was great. It was, uh, you know, two-man team golf, which is all about just timing up when you're good because neither of us are great golfers. No. So it's all, it's all about just I'll, I'll hit a decent shot when you don't. And we, we, we ended up doing that. So we played pretty well together, even though I'd say both of us had shaky days individually. Yeah, we were a solid duo. And since we're bringing up the, the trip, I also want to take some time to talk about the disappointment that I experienced with American Airlines. Oh, no. uh, you know, I thought about reaching out to their customer service. But then I realized, you know what? I have a platform every week where oh, I can God. utilize this platform to say something. Not not that I, I'm like going to totally just crush American Airlines because I, I've flown American quite a bit. You know, they're, they're somewhat of a hub in Miami. So as a result, I've, I've been on a lot of their flights. Uh, how they handled my flight. Listen, I... I understand travel woes. I understand that they happen. I'm usually a very reasonable person when it comes to dealing with delays, flight cancellations, gates being moved, all that stuff. Doesn't really bother me. This one in particular got under my skin. <laughs> and I think a part of it was the timing. Now, once again, whenever I like go through these things, I always just try to keep in perspective like, you know what, if this is my biggest problem of the day, then then I'm having a great day. But we were getting ready to take off. We're on the plane. We are literally like pulling up to the runway. Like we're like next in line and all the masks come down. I'm looking around like something just happened, obviously, that wasn't supposed to happen. And everyone's kind of like murmuring and whispering. Then the, the captain comes on the, loud, comes on the loudspeaker and goes, Obviously, folks, you know, the masks have come down. We're going to have to go back to the gate and get it figured out. Shouldn't be a big issue. I'm, not, I'm like, all right, you know, that's fine. You know, we taxi back to the gate thinking we're just going to kind of stay down and, and you know, they're going to put the masks up some way. I don't know how they do it, but, but I figured they, they had a, a mechanism that could execute it efficiently. Anyways, he comes on about, you know, five minutes later. Everyone's just kind of sitting there. He goes, folks, unfortunately, we're going to have to deplane. 
so we can get access to each of the rows so we can put up the masks so i'm like all right you know we'll deep plan you know maybe 30 minutes whatever it is and of course as soon as everyone's off and waiting to get back on the plane they go unfortunately the uh the airplane needs to be replaced and it's going to be four and a half hours oh no At, at this point people are starting to get restless (laughs) <laughs> and I'm actually next to one of the flight attendants and I, I you know, we're, we're making some small talk. Oh, this is unfortunate. This and that. And she lets me in on a little secret. She says, you know, what's crazy about this whole thing is that all that happened was the co-pilot hit a button by accident to eject all the masks. No. And I'm looking around that, that, that bothered me. Now people make mistakes. So, so I'm like, <laughs> You know what? I understand it. Guys may be having a tough day, you know, slips his hand, whatever. He hits the button, all the masks come down. I don't know how that turns into a four and a half hour delay. I'm not a, a you know, an aerospace engineer. I, I don't have that, that level of, you know, acumen. Yet. Not yet. Not yet. I mean, yeah, maybe, maybe in a, a, a future life. Anyways, at that point, everyone starts scrambling. That's going to be four and a half hours. So there's a huge line to talk to the people at the gate. I get up, I'm third in line, and I say, look, I'd love to try to get back to Los Angeles on an earlier flight. At this point, I already looked up. There's multiple flights flying out. She goes, unfortunately, we're not moving anybody to other flights. We're just going to wait this one out. I'm like, all right, fine. I go to get some food. Uh, I'm watching game, game three of the finals. I'm trying to get food. All the restaurants are closing down. So I haven't eaten. So now I'm like running on edge here a little bit. About an hour's passed. I'm just watching the game, whatever. Drinking a water, like just hanging. I come back and there's a huge line now at the gate. And this woman who just talked to one of the attendants at the front is like beelining it by me, holding a ticket. And I'm like, wait, wait, wait. I'm like, wait, what's going on? It's like, oh, they just put me on a different flight. I got to rush over to my other flight. It's taking off in 30 minutes. <laughs> I go, wait just a second here. <laughs> what is going on? What type of tomfoolery is this? I was just here. And she gave me a very stern. Like, I, I'm always one to try to, and I don't do it like in a pushy way, but I'm always one to try to, you know, kind of work my way around a, a given boundary. You know, like make a little conversation, make some small talk, maybe try to, you know, warm me up a little bit to the point where it's like, yeah, maybe I will, I will throw you on that flight at 830. It was like very stern when I spoke to her. No, it's not happening. Maybe you lost it. So then at this point, I'm finding out they're putting people on flights. So then I have to get back in the line. At this point, I'm like way in the back. Each person's taken like five to 10 minutes. An hour and a half goes by. I get to the front. Of course. Oh yeah, we uh, we ran out of seats. There's only the 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 person not not directly in front of me, but like two people in front of me took the last seat on a on the most on the earlier flight to L.A. and I just missed out and I had to wait the four and a half hours. Uh, this was wow. a this was a tangent and it was a long story, but to summarize everything. I'm just generally disappointed in American Airlines. Not not any individual, because I understand people are just you know trying to do their job to the best of their ability. Um, but instead of you know writing a formal 
complaint or some email that that gets you know thrown into some trash can somewhere uh, i'm using my my platform and my podcast to uh, sound out my grievances i'm really i'm really glad that you are i'm sorry you had to go through that i have three observations though one maybe you lost it maybe you aren't as smooth of a talker as you think maybe those tickets were available but you just weren't given the right signals I, I'm not claiming to be a, a smooth talker at all. Eh, it sounded and, like and you, I have a way to work around boundaries. No, no, it's, and- it's more so like that I'm able to just, I'm, I'm able to see people for their human side. I feel like so often people get up there and they're like, get me on this other flight. Or like, this delay is ridiculous. Blah, blah, blah. I always leave with, hey, how's it going? Um, you, you know, I'm not like sucking up to anybody, but like you I try to just- empathy. Yeah, I just try to address them as a human being and not this person that's standing in the way of me getting on an earlier flight. But anyways, I digress. Continue. What's your other one? Fine. Second observation. I think you need to accept a little personal responsibility here. You prioritized food over trying again for a plane ticket. That's something you're going to have to live with. Third, I'm sorry, bud, but when you fly commercial, this stuff happens every once in a while. I know you aren't flying on a lot of commercial flights these days, but you know, this is don't what do happens. That. I everyone. fly. I fly exclusively commercial. Don't let Davis shift the narrative here. Uh, <laughs> the only time I don't fly commercial is when I'm flying with the Miami Heat. Uh, anyways, or... <laughs> anyway, anyways, we'll we'll move forward. Uh, sorry for the uh, the opening ramble, but we do have a great episode. Uh, we're gonna cover some different stuff in the front of show, and then we have a fun conversation with Ryan. Ryan's a great friend of mine, and now a great friend of Davis's. Uh, and we just had a good time with it. Yeah, it was uh, it was a blast. That was we, this was our second interview we've done in person. We went to Ryan's house, uh, which we were gonna keep disclosed, but he just leads right off the gate and tells you where that's at. Uh, but we're in his basement having a conversation and it goes completely off the rails at points, but it's also really insightful uh, at certain points. He has such an interesting career, Ryan Anderson, because he sort of helped usher in the three-point revolution. Uh, but then that sort of led to like a small ball revolution that ended up sort of hindering the tail end of his career. So it's just, he he was there for such an interesting period in the NBA. I was looking up some of his stats earlier, Dunk. I don't know if you're aware of this, but we, we, I know you know that he led the NBA in three-point attempts and makes in 2012. I did know Do you know that. how many he was taking a game to lead the NBA in 2012? My guess would be somewhere around seven or eight. 6.9. So he's taking just under seven threes a game in 2012 attempting. That led the NBA. There are now 20 guys who take more than 6.9 threes a game. So I am, just I am one of those 20, mind you. You're at you're at 8.5. So you're taking an extra three and a half over Ryan Anderson. And he led the league less than a decade ago in three-point attempts. I just think that's crazy. So we get into some of that with him. It was a it was a great conversation. Yeah, I think that alone provides some context of how quickly the game changes. I think even since I've been a, a really big NBA fan and then player, it's funny how the needs of teams goes in waves, right? Like at at one point it was, I want like a big bruising big man that I can throw the ball into and get, get, you know, good stuff around the rim. Then it starts to change to, I need people that can exclusively just spread the floor. I need space. I want specialists that do their job. Now it's like, I want less size, more speed. I want 
less specialists, more of people that can do everything. Versatility is now king. And it's just like, this is all within the last 12, 15 years or whatever it's been. Um, and it's just crazy to think of how quickly it all changes. And so much of that is tied in with analytics. People don't want to acknowledge, particularly like, and I say this like somewhat endearingly, like old heads, and that's not a disrespectful claim. They get so caught up in like, man, all that analytics stuff is garbage. Like I know when a hooper can hoop. And there's some truth to that. But if you're just entirely ignoring analytics altogether, you're doing yourself like a huge disservice from an evaluation standpoint, from a competitive standpoint, from literally every standpoint that there is. Uh, so I think Ryan is an incredibly unique part of the analytical and three-point revolution. And it's actually pointed out, I've shouted out Kurt Goldsbury before on this podcast. It's actually pointed out by him in that Ryan is the opening and introduction to his book, Sprawl Ball, which is all about the three-point revolution. One more thing on the the small ball revolution. I wanted your opinion on this because I think it's really interesting. You do, it seems to me that in the regular season, there's been sort of a resurgence of the big man like your, your centers, you've got Embiid who had a great year. Jokic had a great year. Now in the playoffs, you're seeing DeAndre Ayton have a huge impact. Brooke Lopez had a huge impact in your guys' series. We've talked about that. Uh, so it does seem like maybe there's this, there's this wave of like, now there's room, you know, we had the small ball revolution and now there are some of these dominant big men who are sort of uh, restaking the claim of the, of the classic five. And not that these guys are classic fives, like Jokic and Embiid obviously are doing a lot more than, you know, back to the basket, classic center moves, but it's just the dominance of the big man. Yeah. Full disclosure. Don't love that take from you. I hear what you're saying. Embiid and Jokic are like truly unique talent. So I don't, I don't think you can throw them in the traditional big man box. Not that you were, not that you were, but my other point would be DeAndre is, has been able, DeAndre Ayton has been able to stay on the floor because he's able to, he has the uh, mobility to do so. In other series, you've seen centers repeatedly get played off the floor. And listen, I, Brooke Lopez was dominant in our series. You're right. He, as the series, this series, the, the finals have, has gone on, and not to pat myself on the back, but after game one, I made the prediction that you would see a lot more Giannis at the five. And now you have seen a lot more Giannis at the five. And so much of that is if you have a big that's not able to move and, and kind of like Milwaukee's now switching ball screens because Giannis is at the five. And they tried to do it in game one with Brooke. And, you know, we, we saw how that worked out. So I understand what you're saying and that there are really good players that are five men. We just had a five man win the MVP for the first time in, I don't know, it's been a what, like 15, 20 years. I don't know exactly how long it's been. Um, but so you're right in that regard. But I push back on the fact that like the five men are back. Let me just clarify: the traditional five man is not back, but the five man might be back. In the playoffs, though, it seems like the shift to small ball happens more often. And like you said, we're seeing Giannis at the five now, which has sort of changed the series for Milwaukee. Yeah, and I also want to reiterate: I've, if I slandered Brooke there at all, that was not my intent. If anything, I have a ton of appreciation for how Brooke has adapted his game to fit today's NBA. The fact that he's seven foot and can shoot it from 30 plus feet and be, you know, the offensive versatile player that he is. I wanted to ask you about your uh, your three Nigerian teammates who uh, 
have been rolling in Olympic exhibition games. Absolutely. Um, they've been a ton of fun to watch. Um, you know, huge games for really all of them. You know, Precious had a huge block. KZ was awesome defensively in that USA game. And Gabe Vincent really had a coming out party uh, just in terms of the, the general public now seeing what he's capable of. I can say very assuredly that he absolutely has the capabilities to do that consistently because I've seen it. And uh, all three of those guys have put in so much time, so much work behind the scenes. There's a lot of talk around what it is to be a young player for the Miami Heat, particularly when you're not getting a lot of opportunity, as all three of those guys had kind of gone through that at different times this year they really make sure that your development is prioritized. And you, now you see this work, all this this sweat that they've put in behind the scenes now come into fruition on this stage uh, was pretty cool to see. And, uh, you know, particularly somebody like Gabe, an undrafted guy, you know, spent a lot of time in the G League, was on a two-way. Uh, I have a ton of appreciation for that because, you know, when he first signed with Miami on a two-way, you know, we, we connected, we had a mutual friend uh, as well. And I just wanted to kind of reach out to him and, and really be a mentor because we had kind of walked a similar path. So super happy for him to come on the, the scene the way that he has and, and play the way that he has. I'm, I'm really excited to follow those guys when they get to Tokyo. Uh, spoiler alert, you and I are both American. So we are probably rooting for the US in the Olympics, but we also root for the underdog on this podcast. So Watching that upset was actually uh, kind of cool, especially because there are some of your teammates on that team. Are you worried at all about the U.S.? They're, they you know start 0-2. They just got a win over Argentina, so they're now 1-2 in these exhibition games. They are exhibition games, but it's the first time. Here's a fun fact for you. First time the U.S. has lost back-to-back exhibition games since NBA players were allowed to be on the Olympic team in 92. Yeah, honestly, not, not super worried. They have so much talent, and... There's an adjustment that takes place when all of those guys are so used to having the ball in their hands, and now you have to play with other guys that are used to having the ball in their hands. So I think there's, you know, it's natural to have some feeling out and some growing pains in that regard. And you know, they they just have so much talent that I would be really surprised if they got out there and uh, and didn't take home gold. But you know, crazier things have certainly happened. So I guess we'll have to wait and see. Fair enough. All right, last quick hitter I have for you before we get to our Reddit question and long shot feature. The Euro Cup final, England-Italy, I know you were dialed in, comes down to PKs for the Euro Cup. It seems like there are very few things in sports that have more stressful implications than a PK. But how would you compare like a last second free throw? Or maybe it's like a tie, you know, down one, 10 seconds left, you're at the line versus PK. Can you imagine what the stress of that is? Like, especially these guys in England, they're playing at Wembley. Sokka, the 19-year-old, is sent out there for the last PK. I just cannot imagine the weight that's on his shoulders and the stress in, in that moment. It's really tough because when you look at soccer, the fact that games are what they are from a score perspective, you know, 0-0, 1-1, 2-2, you know, maybe in some cases 3-3 three, three going into PKs. There are there's so much that happens throughout the course of a game, but there's so little points being scored. Whereas basketball, like 
I feel like last second free throws, yes, they still have a lot of magnitude, of course, but you can point out a million possessions in a game where you could have, you know, had an extra point or prevented an additional point here and there. The fact that soccer is decided by PKs, listen, I, I, I really do enjoy, sorry, I should be calling it football. Uh, I really do enjoy football, but I, I don't know what a solution is, but I don't love PKs. Every time extra time runs out, I just feel so unsatisfied with PKs as an ending. Uh, it's an immense amount of pressure for those people. I mean, obviously they're professionals and they're getting compensated fairly to you know shoulder that pressure. But with that being said, nobody should have to endure what, in particular, those two players that that missed at the end um, have endured after you know, missing those PKs. I think that goes without saying, and that's something that everybody can agree on. But I think that they're different, right? You know, free throws versus PKs, for sure, I think they're different. Well, I guess a free throw, it's just you, right? Like you're shooting at a rim, nobody's in front of you, you're either going to make or miss it. At least with a PK, it's a battle, right? So like the game-winning save was a save. It wasn't a miss, it was a save. Well, the other thing too is like, I love hockey shootouts because it's really hard to score one-on-one with a goalie now guys do it and make it look easy but pks are almost like too easy and i say that i say that obviously the goalies are really high level but i say that from the standpoint of like if you don't make it you're like you're failing which obviously is the case for hockey shootouts as well but there's more like there's an understanding that it's really hard to score on a hockey goalie one-on-one but it's not really that hard like this is kind of a hot take, but I feel like I could score a PK oh, a, against against like a really good goalie. I do. Oh my I'm not God. saying I'm going 10 for 10, but I think I could score one. Like I, I think I could get probably three or four out of 10. And I'm, you know, I'm no... I'm no bum when it comes to soccer. Like I got, I got a little, I got a little touch. But anyways, my point being is like, they're almost too easy. Like you should move it back or something or making it, make it more difficult. So... If you do score, it's like really impressive. Instead of when you miss, you're like a goat, like not a good goat, like a bad goat, like everyone's like blaming you. A, sca- a scapegoat. Yeah. Um, egregious take by you. There's no way that you're scoring three or four PKs on a Euro. Honestly, I think that's light. I think that's light. I think it's maybe like five or six. Anyways, I don't even. It's not even worth arguing. Let's go to the Reddit question of the week. What do we got? All right, Reddit question of the week comes from Legendary Edmonton, and they ask. People who understand basketball or played or coached at a high level, what are some common misconceptions that the average fan has? So I would say that you are certainly someone who has played or coached at a high level. So can you help enlighten the average fan, which I would put myself in, on uh, maybe any misconceptions that we might have? That's a great question. And I could unpack this in a lot of different ways. There's two that I'm going to touch on. The one, the main one is that NBA teams don't care about defense or that NBA players don't care about defense. I mean this when I say this. There is a ton of emphasis that goes into defense in the NBA, a ton. There is hours upon hours of film study. There's hours upon hours of drilling defense, rotations, coverages, all sorts of stuff. Players are held accountable in most circumstances. 
if they're not doing their job defensively, this idea that like, oh yeah, the NBA, nobody cares about playing defense, so it's easy to score, you know, whatever, 20, 30 points a game is absolutely ridiculous. There are people that have jobs in the NBA where their job is to play defense and they are paid handsomely to do it. So you can't tell me that NBA teams, NBA coaches, NBA front offices, NBA players don't care about defense. It's a bad take. The second one, the second one is that, and this is more of a general basketball take, not as specific to the NBA. The second one is that if you're not posting about working out, (laughs) that does not mean that you are not working out. (laughs) And that somehow players who post a lot about their workouts and I'm not I'm not throwing shade at those players because people are you know want to show different parts of their lives for different reasons and that's to each their own totally totally get understand that but the players that post about their workouts all the time get tagged as hard workers and the players that don't everyone just assumes because you're not posting about it that it's not happening here is a Fun fact, because we're doing fun facts. A workout still happens if it doesn't exist on social media. I know that's Ah, really hard. I know that's really hard for people to wrap their minds around. At one point in my life, I was the just got some work in on Twitter. Granted, this was like middle school, high school version of (laughs) Duncan Robinson. Uh, But I just think it's so funny how, whether it be fan bases, whether it be coaches, players, whatever it is, just the the masses formulate their opinions off of the information that they're able to gather from social media. It is an incredibly curated feed that not only deviates from the truth, but it is probably the opposite of the truth in many cases. Anyways, those are my two things. As you can see, that was like emotionally packed uh, because... (laughs) Both of those responses are somewhat personal to me. Yeah, that seemed cathartic. Thank you for sharing. I think it's a metaphor for life. Social media is not real, people. We've touched on this a little bit in the past. It is a fake world out there. Um, And Dunk, it seems like, yeah, this was just a way of you saying, guys, I know I don't post workouts, but I am actually working out, which I can confirm. That's not what I'm, I'm doing. It's just more about my general frustration around that kind of space that exists within high-level basketball, for lack of and a that's, better term. That's fair. It's like the Damian Lillard thing, right? He posted his summer workout just to prove that he was working out. Remember, and it was like him throwing tennis balls and getting yeah, that hit was with a racket. And, yeah. That's yeah. a so, great clip. That's awesome. Same um, energy. All right, let's transition. Long shot feature. This is a great one. Fantastic name, Bradley Rainwater. Yes, you heard that right. Rainwater. He is a pole vaulter at Davidson High School in Flint, Michigan, and he has been blind since birth. Wrap your minds around that. Pole vaulter who is blind. He comes from a family of pole vaulters, his dad, his uncle, his grandfather. That's pretty unique, a family of pole vaulters. That's pretty cool. Yeah. he counts his steps leaning up, leading up to his jump, and he uses a plastic border on the edge of the runway that cues him to take one more final step before he plants his pole into the ground and does his vault. Uh, really, truly impressive stuff out of Bradley Rainwater. There is no way that I could pole vault in the world. There's just no way. I, w- I would be scared to even try it. I think 
that I'm pretty soft in that regard, but that's just, you know, it's who I am. I'll embrace it. But the fact that he's doing this, yeah, like you said, it, using a rubber barrier, I think on the side of the railway, he's just doing it all by feel counting steps. He's obviously mastered that process. Just remarkable. And he's won some meets in, in, uh, up there in Michigan in high school pole vaulting, it, just insane. So yeah, this was a good one. And an elite name, like you said, rainwater. Yeah. Shout out to Bradley. And that pretty much wraps up the front of show. We got, like we said, a great conversation with Ryan. Full disclosure, you know, as we said, we did in his basement. So there's some family maybe chatter in the background. Uh, he's the, the ultimate family man. Uh, there's a dog that kind of joins us at one point, which is kind of fun. And uh, yeah, so, so just be on the lookout for that. Don't hold us too accountable. You know, we we're just trying to uh, make it as comforting as possible for our guest. Yep, we've said this already, but it's an amazing conversation. I once again tried to get Justin Timberlake this week. He still hasn't responded to my emails. Uh, but we had a great conversation with Ryan. I'll try Justin again next week. Some would say that Ryan might be an upgrade from Justin Timberlake. Sure, yeah. I mean, he got back to us, so that's True one story. point for Ryan. All right, here's Ryan. Hello and welcome back in to the Long Shot Podcast. We have an incredibly special episode. Here we are live in the basement Hermosa of Beach. Hermosa. Oh, I was gonna, I was yeah, gonna give gonna you keep, an undisclosed location. It's fine. It's fine. Just kind of keep you off the nobody, grid. Nobody, nobody really cares. Is gonna come and <laughs> visit me out here? You know. I won't give you the exact. Yeah, yeah. Just Hermosa Beach. Hermosa Beach. Okay. Close enough to Manhattan Beach. All right. But you save a little coin because you're not in the, the area code. It's I amazing. Imagine. We yeah. had that great conversation. Best about of both that. worlds. It's really yeah, great um, real estate. We're here with Ryan Anderson. Ryan is a great friend and mentor of mine. I would try to basically try to sum up your career. You have a lot of accolades, a lot of highlights. Is there anything that you maybe would like me to hit on in particular? Um I'm I'm actually curious to have you just uh, rifle these off. All the facts of the years. NBA's most improved. What year? I'm gonna guess 2010. 2012. 2012. But I but actually you just told me that to remind me. I believe you were an All American in college. Certainly all. I don't know. Certainly all conference at at Cal Berkeley. I was definitely the best player at Cal Berkeley. For sure. Oh, well, I mean, that's got to give you an all-conference nod, I imagine. Maybe, yeah. maybe. You got I the jerseys really hanging up over here. I have yeah. a, my Berkeley Special. jersey over there. There's a Team 34. USA jersey, yes. so a USA basketball Select participant. Team. Select team. Nonetheless, that's... Uh, I still have a jersey. You were, everybody comes downstairs and yeah. says, you made the USA? I said, absolutely. You might as well sell it that you were a 2008 Olympian. Same thing. I was an Olympian, yeah. Or 2012. Technically, I'm going to tell my son that. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, you also led the league in three-point shooting. And that's actually an area where more so in the life stuff, I feel like you're a big mentor of mine, but also stylistically and how you play the game of basketball. Um, I mean, you have a lot of game, had a Thank lot of you. game. Maybe you still do. I don't know if you're still playing. It's or. literally been two years since I've shot a basketball. <laughs> but you, still, I imagine you but still got it. I got kids now. You know? Right. That's a, that's Two a very kids. reasonable excuse. Um, but yeah, so so you and I met when you were acquired by Miami in a deadline blockbuster trade. <laughs> it was a it was a big move, big move. 
uh, to clear up a lot of cap space. Don't do that. Don't no, do no. That. But I, it, it was. The end of my career was a, a real... I hired a travel agent and luckily I, I went to some great cities and it got to experience living in Miami. Phoenix was great. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, part of your finals experience can be attributed to me 1000% because I was bought out to get Jimmy Butler. Uh, <laughs> I thought you were going to say that you mentored me. <laughs> therefore, but no, therefore but we, you helped guide me to, to the success that I've been. Listen, you that I you know I'm I'm always in in your corner I and you that. you are a guy that I saw from day one your your ability and your talent and the amount of confidence that's built up in the past like we talked about it I mean with the pandemic and everything it was your success has happened over the past whatever 20 months or something in 20 months your life changed from the guy that I knew to now this this guy who who has so much success and went to the finals and proved yourself in a lot of ways. I'm very, like calling me a mentor is, I'm, thank you for saying that, but you've you've done it yourself, man. And I mean, I'm, it's been really fun watching you, but That's... my experience in Miami was very limited and it was a great experience and the culture was great. We could probably get into all that later, but. No, no, um, I mean, my, my claim that you're a mentor is 100% legitimate. I remember meeting you in Sacramento, which is where you're from. Mm -hmm. uh, ironically mm -hmm. enough, you joined us in the middle of a road trip. And when we were making the jump to the next city, you and I sat next to each other on the oh, plane. I needed a friend. And, I needed a friend. <laughs> and uh, I mean, not, not that we need to make it some like, you know, storybook kind of thing. No, but listen. But like we, from, from takeoff to touchdown, yeah. we had a conversation the entire time. We did. And you know what? It's people don't really care about the the livelihood of somebody who's making a lot of money and playing a sport for their living, but it's not easy to just up and move your family. Like my True wife story. was seven months pregnant. Right. I was not having the best time in Phoenix. Um, again, nobody wants to hear you complain, but uh, no, that I mean, move is tough. Getting traded in the middle of the season and you guys are, especially with the Miami Heat culture, you let two guys go that, or within the trade, in my trade, that everybody was really close with. And there was almost this like, I, I'll never forget sitting there. I grew this uh, depression beard while I was in Phoenix and I'm sitting there waiting for the Miami Heat players to just come in. And no, like I was shunned, you know what I mean? Like nobody said what's up to me. Like I felt so, and then Wait, in I, comes Duncan Robinson. I said what's up, yeah. In I'll comes Duncan. Um, but so I, yeah, you were you you were a godsend to me. So well, thank he you, was yeah. just a two way guy at that point. So he was. he was just trying to make any friends that he could. I he, think <laughs> it was a it was a good match for us. Good it timing was. for both of it's us. It's destiny yeah. though. But I was just trying to be a sponge in that situation. I mean, here I am looking at a guy. At that point, <clears> you were what year nine or ten? Yeah, that was eleven. My apologies. Mm, didn't it's mean, okay. Didn't mean to shortchange you there. That's right. You got uh, a most improved player. But here I am. I, I'm trying to, to keep my foot in the door. And you're in year 11. You've had longevity, a ton of success. We mentioned you know, some of the accolades earlier. <laughs> uh, you also, I, I don't know if I said this earlier, but you led the league in three-point shooting. You for said a year. that. You okay, said I did. That. just wanted so to hit on that once again. Um, but no, in all seriousness, like for, for you to take the time to – answer all my questions because I was just I was just going rapid fire I have a tendency to kind of get that way when mm -hmm. I'm like talking to somebody and when we're kind of in a flow and I'm just like 
asking you all sorts of stuff, basketball, life, and everything in between. Um, and for you to take the time on a flight, I don't know where we were going, but you probably could have just rolled over and, and you know, taken a little nap, but instead decided to engage. So I appreciate that. Long of overdue. Uh, of course. Thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. I mean, those are those questions were you had great questions and everything was relatable to your career and what you're going through. I mean, because I had experienced almost everything in my career, too, from, you know, not playing to having the fear of, you know, is this going to be my last contract? And uh, in my rookie year, I I played 20 games. I started, you know, I played in the rotation 20 games. I started 20 games and I didn't play at all. And that's a fear for a young guy. You don't know longevity. And the way the NBA is now, it's you have to prove yourself from the gate. And if you don't, you know, there's not these long-term guaranteed things for guys. You know, they don't build up young players anymore. That's a great thing I have to say about the Miami Heat culture is they are one of the remaining kind of old-school Pat Riley groups that actually, like, builds a group and isn't looking for – overnight immediate success they see like pieces like with Duncan they saw something great in him and I'd always hear whispers about you that you never believed and you'd never really want to listen to but like how great you know Duncan's in the long-term goal or long-term plan and and uh but anyway I mean it it the Miami Heat culture builds and grooms young players so I mean it, it's uh I, I played for for a long time when they were actually building up young guys and, and that was fun. But the, the way the game is now, it's crazy. So, I mean, your success has been, that, that just says even more, you know, during that time for you. What are you hearing? I'm intrigued. What whispers are you hearing with him as a two-way guy? Mm-hmm. Like, is it, who's that coming from? I guess is my, is my Coaches. Question. I mean, all the coaches are I so invested. Are you hyping this up shaky. a little bit? I feel like or? he's making this up. No, oh no, no. I'm hearing, uh, I mean, multiple guys on the coaching staff are they're very technical guys you know with Miami Heat and uh guys that I've I did drills and did certain shooting things that I've never done in my life and I think they were awesome and valuable but like you know Duncan would go down to the locker room and and I'm just you know getting all my extra work in you know (laughs) (laughs) no and and uh coaches are like man that guy can shoot you know man look if only he had the confidence, you know, that we all believe he, he can have. And I think that's the biggest thing for, with you. It's like you truly are one of the best, if not the best three-point shooter in the NBA now. But, like, you – the way you picked up on and had that confidence just during the key moments that really mattered and you stepped up to every challenge and that – that's – we always talked about it, like – there's a hump you got to get over. There's yes, like little 100%. in the NBA, you have to prove yourself and get to a certain hump where you can get to the next level. Like where, yeah. where when you're there, you're, you're a little more solid and people trust you. And now he's obviously in, he skipped like, Damn. I no, but I, I had to, you know, hit different, different levels on, you know, on my, on my ascent. Yours was like, you climbed that that hill in like one day and in multiple hills. So, well, so you've proven yourself. People people know what you can do. And um, but yeah, I mean that you stepped up when you needed to. I I, I want to talk about me a little bit less. I, I appreciate all the kind words. Agreed. Um, I'd like to talk about you. <laughs> and your, I'd rather talk about you. And you're more your, exciting. And your career a little more. Uh, we've had these conversations before, <clears throat> but you had a really interesting timing 
of your career in that when you first came into the NBA, you were kind of an anomaly in that you were a big that could shoot. And then you were around for this entire transition, kind of the introduction of analytics and how threes are, are weighted and valued in a different way. And all of a sudden you became basically unguardable because teams didn't know how to guard pick and pop bigs. Mm -hmm. And you used to tell me, it's like when I was in Orlando, I used to get five, six wide open threes a game just off of getting the ball thrown back to me. <laughs> mm -hmm. And once you hit a couple, then all of a sudden you're playing out of closeouts and you had a lot more to your game than I do. You, you, know, you were mid post work, all that sort of stuff. But how did you personally see the, the game shift to, I mean, you played as recently as two years ago. Uh, how, how did you see the, the game just totally transform from year one to year 11, 12, uh, whatever it was? <clears throat> it's a great question because I sort of experienced the phase and the change out from sort of the big man era to sort of what the NBA is now. So, you know, what a traditional four, you know, power forward, whatever you want to call power forward now. I mean, the game has changed so yeah. much, but but uh, the traditional power forward was a low lower post Tim Duncan style player, a bigger guy, you know, sort of if you had two seven footers or a, a big body with a seven footer i mean it was so typical to see you know twin tower type lineups right. and uh that you know when i came into the nba it was sort of orlando was one of the first teams to really shift around and play that four out one in style with dwight howard and picking you know picking roles and what are you what are you going to choose you either give up you know wide open uh dunk to dwight howard uh, you give up a pick and pop for me or, or you know, a, a, a drive and kick. Like Jameer Nelson was so good at that. He'd yeah. come off a screen and he just, you know, guys would be wide open on the weak side. And it was, uh, it, you know, that's, that style of basketball was so hard to guard for teams because got, teams were so big. I'd always have a, a player that was 6'10", 7 feet not the most agile guy, did not know how to guard out in the perimeter. And so I'd have a lot of open shots. And then as my career kind of developed and I got a little bit more notoriety and with, with my shot, teams started to switch a little bit more. Smaller guy. I remember, I'll never forget, Draymond Green guarded me when we were in Golden State. And I'm like, who is this guy? Like this tiny, you know, yeah. small forward type player. I remember this so vividly. Like he's like six. This seven. guy's in trouble. I remember yeah. thinking that, not knowing how much he was going to obviously impact the game. And I mean, he transformed and changed the game for me uh, in a way where lineups are so much smaller. I mean, that. I mean, we could get into this so much more, but basically, that was sort of my my decade plus in the NBA. I saw the beginning of the, the shooting forward to now, you know, Giannis is a, right. is a power forward or, or LeBron or you have to be an agile, athletic, defending. P.J. Tucker, I mean, we sort of the, the beginning of the end of my career uh, was because of all this transformation, you know, they wanted a more physical uh, defending forward and so for me i was just really a shooter and a scorer um the game just transformed and changed so much i saw like a, a complete 180 in my career from a personal perspective how do you then go about adapting to that in that for the longest time you're like 
this really unique player and that you have the size that you do and you can guard bigs on one and then you can step out and shoot on the other end to later on in your career now everybody's switching everything and wiping out a lot of your stuff I mean you were still getting to it don't get me wrong I mean even as like I remember watching you in New Orleans you were getting a lot of like ISOs post ISOs mm. it happened less when you got to Houston a lot of that right. was because of the personnel with James and, and how they wanted to play um but from a personal standpoint, was it was there clarity and like this is what I now have to do to stick? Um, when I was in New Orleans, I had multiple. So Alvin Gentry came in the latter half of my four year deal, yeah. and I had Monty Williams, and Monty always had so much. Uh, we had such a great relationship, but but uh, he had so much. Um, he understood what I could do almost more than any coach I ever played for. He knew that I had way more ability than just shooting. And because in college and growing all growing up, I was a predominantly a low post player. I mean, right. I still could shoot, but uh, I had that part of my game that I could, you know, for my entire career, people would say, oh, this guy can actually rebound or this guy can actually score in the post. Um, even though, you know, that was not something that was highlighted in my you know, career, especially early on. But Monty gave me opportunities where when teams started switching, um, I'd take him down low in the post down, and, yeah. and uh, I'd have opportunities to score down there. And also, you know, I'm not going to say I was one of the first, but really slipping, picking, picking yes. pops hard and learning the art of that within the switch game. I mean, it, it, may, it was really difficult for teams to figure that out um, at first. Now it's everybody does it now, you know. And so for me, I could still get open looks yeah. for three, but um, – I would I would go down low in the post a, a ton and uh, get opportunities down there. So, but then in in Houston that all changed because no mid range shots. We tried to shoot, you know, fifty plus threes every night, and nobody wanted me down by the block. I had to only score from three. That's a super underrated, difficult part of a, a game, and or I, or I should say a play, and that you see people slipping out of screens. There's like a nuance and a feel that you have to have to be able to like do that effectively. Like it's so much more than just like running and slipping out, mm -hmm. like being able to actually like manipulate the defense and create an advantage. You mentioned Monty Williams. Um, <clears throat> I know you guys have a, a good relationship. Are you at all surprised by the success that he's had? I've heard, I mean, I, I've outside of playing against him and, you know, engaging with him here and there, I don't really know him, but the only things I've heard about him are nothing but like the best and, and most positive. Yeah, I mean, if you know a little bit about my history, we kind of share a lot of dark times together. Uh, you know, I, his wife was there for me during a right. really difficult time in my life. Um, you know, I stayed at his house that night. They welcomed me in, his, you know, and his wife, she was just the most amazing person. And then, uh, you know, uh, a little bit, you know, a few years later, I, I don't remember the exact date, but his wife passed away in a car accident. And it was crazy because the next day we, we played Oklahoma City where he was coaching, the uh, Pelicans did. And so right the day after it happened, a few of us went over to his house and I kind of shared in that morning with him. And it was just, uh, we, we have a pretty deep rooted connection and um, have been through a lot together, like I said, but he's the greatest possible coach for a group like the Phoenix Suns because I said this to him. We actually met right after he got the job in Vegas uh, for summer league. I met in his room with him 
and because he wanted to ask me a few questions about the group and how do I interact with with Devin Booker and and DeAndre Ayton and yeah. all these guys, and he's such a natural in that position of leadership and and that team needed leadership. I mean, I was there for what's uh, you know five months or so. Uh, spent time with them when they were all brand new with the exception of book, but like the guys needed guidance and leadership and Monty is such a, almost like a fatherly figure in a way where you want to, you want to do the right thing and you want him, you know, he, he wants to get the best out of you and you know that and respect him. So he, I'm not surprised at all with the success they've had. And I mean, it's happened pretty, pretty quick, you know, like within a year, but you kind of saw it at the tail end of the, uh, during the pandemic, you know, when they were undefeated in that little stretch, you could see that they, they had some, some good going. You talk about dealing with adversity and tragedy. I think that as professional athletes, there is an expectation around obviously performing, but then also that there's a, a lack of understanding of the fact that we have like other lives. Um, how have you been able to overcome instances in, in, in just adversity in general? You don't have to unpack anything specifically, but more so adversity in general and the challenges that come with everything basketball related off the court and not let it bleed onto the court. Or honestly, like it's, it's unrealistic <clears throat> to say that it never does. Right. I would, mm-hmm. I would imagine. Yeah, I mean, for me, basketball was my escape, and basketball was kind of my safe haven. And for that two hours of practice, I got a chance to get away from my outside life. You know, especially during, during, uh, you know, the suicide of my ex girlfriend. Like, you know, being in New Orleans, being in the city where that happened, coming back. Monty was actually the guy that got me back to playing basketball again because I thought there's no way I can be around people and go back to that city and have these memories and and uh but he told me like basketball is all you really know man you know this is your healing and he was right and i we we fought back and forth for a little while about that but um you know it's interesting because through my through my experience and over time you know, basketball was my safe haven. And then it kind of became sort of this situation where everything in basketball sort of just happened organically and it was great. And I, and, and doors were opened and I got playing time and I got contracts and all this stuff. And then all of a sudden my value sort of really changed. And so that was really hard for me. It was really hard for me to deal with that. And I don't think people understand how hard it your whole life you're playing X amount of minutes a game and things are just happening. And then all of a sudden you're not playing anymore and people don't talk to you. It's, it's interesting, you know, you're kind of shunned. If you're not one of the guys, you're kind of shunned. So, um, basketball sort of became like, a. It wasn't my safe haven anymore. It was like, I was, everything on the outside was going great. And then, so, you know, it, that that was a challenge. It's it's a challenge. It's definitely a tough thing for for players to, um, you know, find peace and have their head on straight. And everybody deals with it differently. But I guess that's how you have longevity in a league like the NBA because it's cutthroat and it's tough. And you know, I mean, how do you deal with it? 
how do you deal with the pressures of going from maybe not playing one night to we had so many situations where you you know when i was with you you wouldn't play five games and then you get thrown in there and you'd have to play yeah 30 minutes one night i mean i think i think first and foremost like adversity is relative so it's important to preface what i'm about to say with that there's basketball adversity which is like i'm not getting the minutes i want or i'm not getting this or that and then there's like real life stuff and mm. and you've handled both beautifully honestly and I'm, I'm not just saying that i'm well thank you you're, you're welcome <laughs> but um but it is it's still a thing if it, you're a basketball player you know yeah. you're, it's not who you are that's just what you do and and so being able to produce and that's a very underrated thing for people to know. Like everybody that you watch playing on the court had to have that moment with the exception of number one picks or top 10 picks that get, you know, yeah. get opportunities to just, you know, fail. Right. You never really had an opportunity to fail, man. Like that's crazy, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think the, what I realized is that there were moments early on in my career, particularly when I was in Miami that first year, I'm living in a hotel room. I have abs like I haven't like rooted into the city at all. Like I don't know anybody. I'm like friends with guys on the team, but per like I quickly learned professional basketball is very different than college basketball. Like college basketball, you're living with your teammates, you're eating with your teammates, you're studying, you know, you're doing everything, going to class, going to practice. Those become your best friends. The NBA is like guys are showing up to work and then they like want to go home and be with their family. So for me as a as an undrafted guy living in a hotel in Miami, my only experience every day was the time that I went to the gym. Other than that, I'm like sitting in my hotel room, hanging, might go out to eat, whatever. So whether or not I had a good or bad day was dependent on whether or not I had a good or bad practice. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden that starts to like weigh on you of like, you know, things start to go a little bit south. And then all of a sudden it's like, you can't separate your state of being from your, your basketball value. Mm -hmm. And like, they just become like intertwined. I think that having, honestly, I'm not just saying this, like having relationships that along the way that I've been able to like kind of latch onto have helped because, mm. you know, we can, like, like I said, we can sit down for dinner or a meal or whatever on the road and we don't have to talk about rotations or mm -hmm. assignments or anything like that. And, and that's when like the human side of being a professional athlete is like you, you get like a breath of fresh mm -hmm. air. Um, but I think it's a, it's a challenge. And you mentioned like the top 10 picks, they see it in like a very different way of like, if you're not doing this, this, and this, all of a sudden you're like, you're done. I mean, you see with like Ben Simmons right now, he's an incredible basketball player. And mm -hmm. everybody is like ready to just ship them yeah. off. To, you know what I mean? It's like, it's ridiculous. And, but that's also like the that's world that we fan, live in. That's a world we live yeah. in, in the fan base, especially in Philly. I mean, they're, yeah. they, and they've been waiting so long to win and stuff. But, but yeah, I mean, it, sorry, continue. No, I mean, no. It's true. I, I mean, that, that's, that's, right. that's basically what I was, I was going <laughs> to turn around and ask you. <laughs> now we're just like excommunicating David yeah, from the hey, conversation. I'm, we I'm really listening. have, man. Let What's me up? Tell you guys How are you doing? How are me, you doing? Let me tell you about dealing with adversity. In the yeah, NBA. tell them. Yeah, <laughs> tell us. As a top 10 pick, yeah. the, the pressure yeah. that I feel is every morning when I wake up. Wait, this isn't Kevin Love over here? <laughs> yeah. over here? Thank you. He Davis looks, gets a finally, lot of Davis, Kevin Love comments. Like, finally. It's like Kevin Love, 
Matt Liner in a teddy bear. You know what I? You know <laughs> what I hate more than teddy bear. You know yeah, what I, teddy bears there. Thank you. You know yeah, what I hate more than anything huh. is that he idolizes Justin Timberlake. It's true. And occasionally he'll get a Justin Timberlake comment. The hat, the hat oh. makes is the is very like Justin Timberlake esque. Yeah, the well, trucker so the, hat. This, this is, won't come off. No. Man, man of the woods. <laughs> yeah, this is who he is. man of the woods. Man of the woods. Exactly right. That album, I mean, was just terrible. There I'm were a couple huge, gems on there. A Alicia couple gems. Keys, uh, say Light. something. Yeah. Morning Light's yeah. a great song. Okay, I tried so hard. You know, I I was I was a huge Future Sex Love Sounds uh, fan. Yeah, it's a That's classic. maybe my favorite album of all time. Honestly, yeah. like I could listen to it over and over. If I'm in jail for the rest of my life, I pick one album. Why would you, Why would you be in jail? I mean, you know, I'm just hypothetical, you know, <laughs> like, but that's what I would listen. That's the one album I would, I would accept. That's a good pick. You I, do have a JT. Don't do that. Come on. Don't do he that. does yeah. a little bit. Don't do that. With Thank the you. beard going and stuff. I appreciate that. Don't let me interrupt your adversity talk. I'm yeah, just, so, I'm, I'm enjoying the. But it's, it's, there are <laughs> a lot of us say, well, you and I would refer to some guys as NBA guys that are just like straight basketball 24 seven ESPN is on TV. And I mean this in the best way, but like Jamal Crawford was a teammate of mine. He is, I mean, his career was incredible. incredible. He's such a great basketball player. He's like the player. ultimate hooper. The best guy, the best guy, but he's a hooper. Yes. He could talk basketball 24 seven and, and never get tired of it. And that's for me, like that's, I need a break. You know what yeah. I mean? Like during the summer, I don't touch a ball. I, you know, I, I'll train, but I don't want to sit down and have a conversation at dinner about stats or basketball or whatever. And that's fine if somebody else wants to do it or with a teammate that does it. But it, you find you and I are very similar in that sense where you kind of need that break and you need uh, you need an opportunity to sort of refresh yourself. Um, and and it really benefits you on the court. You know, you'll be refreshed for the next season. I mean, but uh yeah, I mean everyone, but every everyone is different with how they handle things, and everyone is different with how they face adversity like that. How did becoming a father change your perspective on basketball? So much, man. I mean, it was like I said, it was tough for me because <clears throat> I had gone from, uh, you know, I signed a big my big deal in Houston. I, uh, I had another team that offered me an actual, a bigger deal. Who was that? Sacramento Kings. So hometown, team hometown well. team. It was the hardest decision of my life. I was in this house upstairs, like honestly, like on my knees, praying to God, like make this decision easier for me because you were, you were unrestricted. It was, I was unrestricted. You wanted. So like my first deal, when I signed with new Orleans, it was a sign and trade and it was, I was shocked. Cause I thought I would, I got the most improved player in Orlando. I thought I would resign with Orlando GM saying that head coach, everything, but then all the Dwight Howard scandal happened mm -hmm. and everything got unloaded and I was one of them. So I, I did a sign and I didn't even have a choice to go to New Orleans and I ended up loving it and had the best experience in New Orleans, even in the midst of like tragedy and tough things. It, I have my heart, like a piece of me is in New Orleans. I love that city, but, um, signed the deal in, in Houston and, um, <clears throat> first year we, you know, shot like, you know how it percentages or everything for shooters, but like shot 40% from three 
it still wasn't what people wanted to see from me because in New Orleans, I could do everything I could score. In the post, like I was saying, I got opportunities and I averaged like 14 points a game, you know, getting paid $20 million a year for a guy that doesn't play great defense and blah, 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 wasn't enough. And, but we had success and I'm like, I did my job, right. you know. Next year, Chris Paul comes in. I'm getting to the sun thing, by the way, but I'm just making the long <laughs> I route. love it. I love it. We're along for the This ride. is what the people want anyways. But this is, this is why having a son is, has impacted me so much. But so <clears throat> I, uh, I started 50-something games that year when we had the best record in the NBA with Houston where we, made, we should have went to the finals and all this yep. stuff. Um, and through the first maybe three or four months, like I, there were articles written, like I was shooting stretches, like for a month I shot like 70% from three from Chris Paul assists, you know? And the game plan didn't change from the year before and Chris was trying to adjust. He was trying to figure it out. He had a little bit of injuries. So, and I'll never forget this one game, they, did, they were playing in Portland and they kind of shifted to this small ball. I'll, I'll never forget it. I played maybe 10 minutes that game and I knew like something was gonna change. So I, I started the first 50 something games of the season and <clears throat> get a call from coach, uh, Dan Tony, you know, uh, we wanna maybe start PJ Tucker. Oh, I was, by the way, I was sick one day and they started PJ and then they call me and say, we wanna start PJ. And I'm like, no, this is my position. I whatever. I, it took me a long time to. Do you say that in, in a meeting? You say I, like, we I'm, were on conversation. We had a phone conversation through text and, and a call. And I remember sitting with my family, like, should I just come off the bench? I mean, you know, I it was a new thing for me to not. I had yeah. always sort of been the underdog, overachieving, and now I was sort of the overpaid guy who is underachieving from what they wanted, even though. I was doing everything that right. they paid me for. And, and what they were asking. And we were the most successful team in the NBA for the, if I was starting or not, you know, right. uh, we were so good. But Wait, don't say that. We were, we were, I mean, no matter what, no, you we were a part of that record. You provide I space. A, I was a part of that. Then injury happened and I was just so, sort of tossed off to the side. And, um, anyway, I'm making this the longest story, but, I, I asked for a trade to go to Phoenix, uh, and it, it happened, and that was it, it was even, even more of a struggle for me to figure out how to fit in with that team, and there was just so much chaos and everything. But my son, I find out that I'm going to have a son during that stretch, and when he's born, it's crazy. So I get traded. My wife's seven months pregnant, go to Miami, and... Uh, She's seven months pregnant, and I'm like, we don't have doctors, anything. We had everything set up in Phoenix, and it's crazy. So, like, almost as the buzzer went off of your last, your guys' last game, I remember, like, I talked to some of you guys in the hospital. Uh, Our last game. You were still a part of that team. Miami Heat. You weren't there because you But were... I wasn't there, so that's why I said your last game. So, our, our last game of the you. season, um, my son was born, like, on the dot when the buzzer almost went off for the last game. So, and just seeing him every bit of miss, you know, trying to figure out what was going on with me, what was going on with my career and stress. And it just felt so minuscule to like what this kid can provide. And 
And anyway, he's just a joy and he's the best. And now we have a daughter, but kids make all of your problems that you had before kids just seem like selfish. You know, like what, why does it even matter? You know? So anyway, uh, I, I'm a full-time dad now, you know, I love that. so, but which is a beautiful great. job, by the it's way. It's great. It's great. And I'm in no rush to do anything else right now. So. You, you kind of alluded to this earlier, but it is, when you look at your career trajectory, it seems like when there were hard times that came off the court, things on the court were going well for mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. and vice versa. When things on the court were going as well, you have something like the birth of a son. Does it almost feel like it was like it's, it balances it out a little bit. Mm -hmm. We're being, this is my dog it. major. You can't see him, but Hi, major. Um, it, it is incredible how my life has worked out in that way. And, you know, I'm, I come from a religious background and I, I, you know, so, so many hours of praying and, and trying to figure out what God's trying to do in my life. And, um, you know, thank God basketball was my healing place during that time when I was in New Orleans and earlier on in my career. I don't know. I honestly, with what I experienced, like, at this point now, the fact that I play, continue to play basketball, the fact that I am even around anymore, you know, up until this point is a blessing and basketball really saved my life and it saved my life. And it also became the craziest mind boggling, uh, uh, stress ball ever too, yeah. you know? So, cause the thing that's your safe haven suddenly becomes your like your hell almost, which again, it's like, I'm you sorry. already know, nobody wants to hear a guy who's making a bunch of money, but, but it's something, you know, your whole life and you've done your whole life gets sort of stripped away from you. And, and you're kind of looked at as like not good enough and yeah. all this stuff. It's, it really messes with your mental health. And that's, that is a huge reason why mental health is a huge factor in the NBA right now, because it's just tough and social media and everything makes it so much more difficult. So, um, can you hear my whole family? Right now? <laughs> Maybe it'd be a nice touch if we can, <laughs> but no, I think it's my look, wife and kids. Look, yeah. as someone who's not an NBA player mm. making millions of dollars and have the pressure of, you know, you do pretty well we, from the podcast. We but. talked about it earlier. <laughs> well, yeah, the podcast. I mean, yeah, yeah. We did talk about, I, I was lying, for all of you who might not have known, I wasn't a top 10 pick, mm, as I mm. alluded to earlier. Mm -hmm. But it is, it's that part of the whole experience mm -hmm. is fascinating to me because everyone wants to be the NBA guy. Everyone wants to be the, but there is this, this fan pressure. And now that I'm closer to mm -hmm. him than ever, like I'm monitoring stuff going on online, you see how much of that exists. Yeah, yeah. Did you just stay away from it? Absolutely, yeah. I, I haven't, I realized how unhealthy Instagram was in my life a long time ago, thank God, and I, I very rarely, I still have one just in case an opportunity comes around where I want to have another business or get involved with something where I do have a following of pretty awesome people that, you know, not everyone is, is gonna just be one of these, uh, jerks online you know there are some people that really care and and want to know what's going on so i mean i've, I've kept that around but I, I rarely post and i avoided it so much especially when i was in houston because 
especially there in, in basketball cities like a Philly, like we're talking about, or, or the Lakers, man. Yeah. I mean, Houston's one of those sports cities where just the pressure is always on you and that's all people want to talk about with you. And, you know, Miami probably has a bit of that too, but there, there's a great culture of fans in Miami. And like, I know you, <laughs> you have to say that, but it is actually true. <laughs> you have to. No, it is true. 100% it is very is true. true. It is very true, and they Miami are has, we have great understanding fans. and have always been like yeah. amazingly supportive of the team. Like Sacramento, for me, growing up was we didn't have winning season for twenty years, and then you know that two thousand two, two thousand one King squad came around, and they're so fun. But um, anyway, it's you know you have to focus on what's important and what actually matters in the comments of just douchebags really should not have any influence fair. on your life no, that's and fair. love that and take. yeah i mean that's it's fair. true it, they're just douchebags <laughs> <laughs> but it is it's tough i think that's why having success with so much limelight on you is so rare and people love to see it and i love to see it with this guy over here you know for sure i have a question for you though sure because you talked a little bit earlier about my ability to like slip pick and rolls and, and pick and pop and stuff like that. And you've really transformed, like it used to be pick and pops for just like bigs like me, yeah. you know, <clears throat> like you, you slip pick and rolls. I want to know how did you learn how to be effective with a, uh, a slip pick and pop. And also you've always had a really quick release and like great basketball IQ and, and great form and everything. Your shot is one of the prettiest I've ever seen. But all right, uh, feels like a stretch. But continue. I have to gas you up. It's your yeah. podcast. But <laughs> but no. But it looks like it's going in every time. But anyway, you know he's the best looking basketball player in the NBA. <laughs> oh, you know far. he's yeah, yeah, yeah he's the best. All but right. no, let's let's, let's, let's get to it. Yeah. Let's no, get no, to no. it. But, 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 but was that something that just came naturally to you? Was it something that was taught to you? Was it something that you had to adjust to yeah. or how did you get to that level of like pick and pop shoot, shooting with such a quick release? I think that some things come naturally and, but I, I actually, I'm a believer. I was just having this conversation. I'm a believer that shooting can be taught and developed as, as it, as we're talking about like slipping screens, <laughs> I've gotten a lot better at that. Um, and I think it's a combination of like just kind of developing a feel and like being put in those situations. My job is actually in those situations, like pretty simple, especially when you have guys like Jimmy, where it's like, all I need to do is have his man just think about me for like a quarter of a second or open his stance just the littlest bit and Jimmy's going to get downhill. Mm -hmm. So it's like when you're able to think of it like that, it's, it's such fine margins that and I have like little tricks. I'm not not going to disclose everything. I'll, I'll give like a lesser one that's like more well known of just like tapping tapping a yep. hip as you're going mm -hmm. by, and all of a sudden this guy thinks he's getting screened and he gets held up. Mm -hmm. There's other ones that I'll do. I'll try to like you know say call like defensive calls right, like right. switch or if their call is red for switch, I'll yell red red and try to get them to switch like preemptively before I even get up there, and then mm -hmm. I just slip out. Are you putting on like a fake voice? that no sometimes what i'll do though is i'll yell like let's provide an example give me a, an nba guard 
uh, Chris Paul. Chris Paul. Yeah. I'll, I'll be running up and say Chris Paul is guarding the ball. Okay, yeah. he's guarding Kendrick Nunn. I'll run up and I'll be like, Chris, switch, switch, switch. Oh wow! And Chris wow. thinks that it's sneaky. Chris it's thinks sneaky. that it's Mikael Bridges yelling switch. Well, are you serious. trying to put on a Mikael Bridges voice? Hey, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, but but it's that is like a that's something that's so uh, uh, extra and and you have to focus on the actual play calling and there's so much more to that. I mean, that's like a, you're like, it's a not, you're giving the, me a little bit of credit. It's no, it, it's just being a student it. of the game. Like I, I learned a few of those tricks, like the little tap on yeah, one yeah, side and yeah. stuff yeah. like that. I never put on the accent and did like this, <laughs> but, but it's, it's definitely something that you have to, when the game is so the game is at a pace where like from college, everything's so fast. And in the NBA, everything is like on purpose, but quick moves on purpose for a yeah. you. There's less wasted motion. There's in the less NBA. wasted very, motion. It's so, a simplified game. For so sure. you have, there's so much going on in the mind of like a Duncan Robinson when he's going into a pick to know how they're guarding it, to know which side to slip from, to know the play, you're to know the player. Me a, you're giving me a I'm little not, too much but credit, I mean, but I, I mean, appreciate it. It comes naturally. There's elements where it come, comes naturally to me. There's yeah. elements where comes naturally to you but right like but launching game, a 35 foot pick and pop three for you just seems to come naturally that that you've evolved, made, but you that have evolved. made some bombs in your like you were one also one of the first i was gonna say do you take credit you should take some credit for the whole era deserve, that followed you deserve, like forget logo lillard like i'm oh, talking seriously. logo ryan anderson yeah, oh yeah no, but this honestly that evolved organically just uh, Mike D'Antoni is his offense is not this like wizardry of oh tons of pick and rolls yeah. and whatever all these things it's spacing all it is is spacing yeah. and running to your spot and and me and Eric Gordon naturally like everybody asks us why are you shooting these deep threes I didn't even know for a long time that we were shooting them that deep until I'd watched some film watch after. the film yeah the whole key to that offense was to give James Harden space. Like I got paid what I got paid initially because I could provide space for James Harden. It wasn't because I'm going to shoot the ball. Like there were times when Daryl Morey would say, I need you to get your shot blocked once a game. I need you to get a three blocked once a game. Like I'm, wow. he's, he would come to me like you didn't get a three blocked. Like he wanted me to, to show offenses that I'm like ready to go from to wherever. Shoot. And part of that was, I don't want to get my three blocks. So I'll just shoot it from the logo. You it's, know, it's so true because if you're two steps out and your defender is even a half step closer to you, mm -hmm. all of a sudden James Harden becomes <clears throat> so much harder to guard. I mean, look at, he's so naturally gifted and, and, and talented. And I mean, yeah, we, you know, it helps to have a guy like me or Eric or, you know, where they can't leave you. I mean, I watch players guard you. You, They don't leave you because they can't. They don't want to – they'd rather give up a James Harden or a Jimmy Butler. You know, Jimmy's got his little – he'll work to the basket and do a little yeah. fadeaway mid-range. Like, you ra the percentages are – you'd rather have the the, the range or the layup yeah. than a three. So, you know, it – that has so much value and you know that's a huge reason why you're you're going to have the off season you are and wherever you're going to go what people need to understand is it's not just it, he gets it done and he makes them and 
the way he's guarded is insane and he has some of the best defenders on him and he can still he has to find out those tricks to get his open looks and everything but it's the reason he's going to make what he's going to make is because of the space he provides on the court and that's the biggest thing in the nba right now is space so much of it is just being willing to shoot them yeah and that's tough too you make some freaking shots that for me i mean you have a I always thought I had a pretty quick release, but your release is like probably twice as fast as mine, and it's insane. It's insane to watch. It's pretty fun to watch. Do you guys, because you two are very similar in that regard. You do it for Jimmy. You did it for James. We're talking about creating space. There are times where I'm very biased watching him, mm-hmm. but there are times where it's like Jimmy and Bam get a you know wide-open alley-oop. Man. On a pick and roll, and I'm like, and I'm like, it yeah, it's because insane. no one could leave Duncan on the weak side. Oh, Are there times yeah. where you guys feel like you uh, deserved a little more credit just for that role? It, okay, I will say this: I feel like I'm getting that credit. Yes, for the record. I, no, no, no. I feel I like I'm getting that credit. I want to say before you answer, I feel like I get that credit. Go ahead. People, the thing is, you do get the credit because you you shoot it at such a high clip too, and like you're respected because you the numbers show and everything but when you it's all great when you get the credit like oh duncan helped out look at the spacing duncan robinson's creating he just made three threes like but like in houston when you get zero everything's about james you know that every headline was james harden every loss was also on james harden's shoulder too but he there, there might as well have been no other basketball player, you know, yeah. unless somebody messes up. They're the first ones to say, you messed up. But James still had a triple-double, you know. Right. But a reason you lead the league in triple-doubles is because you have a team around you that's willing to do the things to let you do that and let you shine. And, and uh, you know, it is a tough thing when you're getting zero credit, especially when you're making a lot of money and you're not getting you're getting two yeah. shots with like two seconds left on the shot clock and you miss them and Grenades. then you're, yeah, you're so 0 for 2 from 3 grenade. and then everybody says that I suck, you know? Yeah. That this is the greatest part about not being in the NBA right now. It's like <laughs> I can just unload on how much I it pisses that's what pisses me off. But that's I mean, people don't want to hear it. Again, it's like I made a lot of money. I've lived a great life. I'm so blessed. I love it. But for the record, the you game don't, is not fun. The game is not fun when you have to just stand there and you're not involved at all. You want to be involved. You want to be a part of the offense. Totally. You know? Yeah. I like, and I'm not a good defender either. So, like, I'd always get switched <laughs> on. You know, I'd always have to switch on Steph Curry and he make buckets on me and then I'm the idiot. Sorry. But <laughs> no one can guard that guy. Keep any Just of this to... on your 100% we're keeping it all. Right. I mean, uh, I could go so much harder, but I, you know. <laughs> I don't know if I do know. I don't know if I want to know. I think I, think I, I want to know. I want to know. You probably have heard a little well, bit. Well, yeah, bit we can. Uh, yeah, yeah, we won't. I want to. Do you remember uh, it was my second year? It was when you were in Houston. We played our last regular season, or sorry, preseason game in Miami. Mm-hmm. And at this point, I think I was shooting 28% from three throughout the preseason. Couldn't make a shot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you and I had spent some time the day before in Miami, and we had gone back and forth. And then I see you in, in pregame, you know, whatever, warm-ups, and you come up to me and you go, uh, yeah, some guy on our staff just asked why you're starting. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh yeah, I'm trying to get the you know the 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 inside. And some guy goes, so you know this like Robinson guy like. Well, why is he playing? Like he's like not like that is not how it went. <laughs> and I'm like getting ready to go out and like you know maybe have a redeeming preseason game and like hopefully like earn a spot in the rotation. And you're just tearing me down. Hey, come on! <laughs> I you did tell me that after like you the fact like this is the crazy thing about this guy is like he really. I feel like he was thinking about that and like oh, the first hundred percent. Right, Ryan. Classic over there. Oh, I missed a shot. Like, why did Ryan say that? Yes. The crazy thing is, is there's something that shifted in this guy's brain to where like that well now I know how to like really throw him off in the future. <laughs> it won't throw him off as much, but like he's pretty strong headed now. He's gotten a lot tougher over the years, let's just say that. Yeah. Or at least over I honestly this is a theory I have, and I want to ask you this question, actually. Like, <clears throat> pandemic basketball in the bubble, I feel like I, because I do care about what people think about me, and I want to, I want to live up to expectations. Everybody does to some extent, yeah, for the record. But, this is, yeah. but, but I'm saying I think I would have thrived in the bubble, you know? <clears throat> do you think that a lot of players – and the Miami Heat in general, do you think you guys really thrived during during the bubble because there wasn't that outside influence, there wasn't the fan hollering? Are at you, you? There wasn't you know? Are you suggesting that we and I were bubble flukes? That's kind of what it sounds. Is like. Is that what I'm hearing? No, 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 no. What I'm suggesting is is did you? I feel like. I would have thrived in that environment. I'm not saying it was a fluke. No, I, you guys I, had just, the ability. I, I know you're saying that. But it, I, I could understand that you could sound, it could sound <laughs> like I'm saying that. But what I'm saying is like, like you obviously have continued your success outside of the pandemic and the bubble. So more so for you, you know, did that build a confidence level in you? Like, cause you made it to the finals, whether it was in the bubble or not. Yeah, I made it to the finals and everybody's watching on TV. Probably more viewers are watching on TV. I would say I'd first start with the claim that I I think I actually shot a better percentage prior to the bubble than in the bubble. Yeah, let them know. Just want to lead with that. Uh, But I will I will say I like it when he guesses. (laughs) Me too. It's nice. Experiencing the success of going on a run and developing confidence and contributing to winning in the playoffs Mm -hmm. because it's kind of this thing with the NBA that it's like no one really cares till you do it in the playoffs or it's mm-hmm. always going to be like, Oh yeah, let's see what he does in the playoffs. Absolutely, and yeah. it's like, it, it particularly pertains to players like myself, like, Oh yeah, Duncan can shoot whatever from three in the regular season, but can he do it in the playoffs? And it was nice to have like, not to say that I fully checked that box cause it was, it was one game or one, one run, but like, it was nice to see that I can still be impactful in a playoff setting. That was so I was so happy for you to see that you did that because that is the biggest stage. And honestly, I mean, for the remainder, for the rest of your career, people are going to talk about that finals. They will. They're going to talk about your finals performances. They're going to talk about your playoff career. I had dreadful playoff numbers. I mean, I had, and in your first playoff experience, you you played so well. And I'm not just saying just because of the bubble that happened, but I felt like that's where the tree you were barking up, but that's okay. It was just because of the pandemic. All the (laughs) success is just because. Yeah, he's a bubble fraud. Yeah, 
<laughs> no, but but I, you know, it's the game is completely different. I mean, you have to experience that shift playing in front of fans now to like yeah. getting used to playing in the bubble. And is it so much more fun with fa- it? Has to be so much. Yeah, more fun. I mean, well, it is. It is obviously significantly more enjoyable playing in front of people. But you mentioned the expectations and the fans because you have a for a stretch there. It was one year. I don't remember when it was. You had a very interesting stat in that you were significantly a better shooter on the road than you were at home. Oh, man. Houston. It was, it was a Houston. Okay. It was Houston. Because I remember talking about this. Yeah. I shot like 60% from three on the road and like whatever, 20 or 30% on – or I'm to, sorry. To, six, yeah, yeah, 20 or 30% at home. So it equaled out. I was shooting like 45% right. or 40%. And I'm wondering, why is everybody – Like know, leading the league probably like, – it was interesting because the the truth about that was is I no one's ever asked me this question actually so it is pretty interesting but like you know back at the, back when people were bringing this up to me like in media little you know before practice why are you shooting so good on the road all this stuff and I'd be like I'd just say something just to laugh it off or it's yeah. just the way it is but the reality was is I just I felt a different level of pressure going from being like the un, the guy that was always the underdog. I was always the underpaid guy to starting my career off, trying to find my way to contribute. And like, for me, you know, I'm not, like I said, I'm not the greatest defender. The game is changing to where like, it was a lot harder for me to score and, and yeah. to show my worth, you know? So I had to, I had to shoot at an incredible clip or I had to do something extraordinary for people to, you know, appreciate what I'm doing for the team. Meanwhile, I'm looking at other guys on other teams that, you know, like an Al Horford or something. And I was averaging the same stats as Al Horford right. who pay, got paid a max deal. And, you know, it that was a, a different dynamic for me. It was hard for me to to be the guy that was like, you know, you need to do more and we're paying you a lot for this rather than before it was like, wow, we got a steal from, for this yeah. guy, you know? So that was, that was a big adjustment for me. So it really affected me at home. I felt like I was like, you know, yeah. I felt like every time I was in Houston, I, I was like letting down the fans or something mm. like that. So that's real. No, that is real. But it's, it's, it sucks because this was during that time when, on the court, everything started to not become my, I never worried or thought about that at all. I never had any stresses or anything. I just played basketball and it worked out, you know? So yeah, just being a hundred percent authentic. It was, it was a, a challenge for me to, especially not be put in a position to thrive. Like in New Orleans, I averaged 17, 19 points a game cause I was put in a position to thrive. Yeah. I was not put in a position to to show every ability I could in Houston. You know? Situation and opportunity is so much of all sports, but I think particularly when you get to like high level basketball, because everybody can play, mm-hmm. and it's just about if you're being utilized and feel comfortable and free in the mind, and you're able to like really tap into your abilities. Mm-hmm. You, it's it's the game is very unique now in the sense that you used to be drafted or you used to be brought onto a team for a purpose. Like this guy does this, you know, 
now you have to be a guy that does everything. Everything, yeah. And you have to be a guy that is uh, just kind of more of just like an all-around hooper, a guy that's not, not like, hey, we have this guy. Like there, were, there was a time when centers were getting paid, you know, $40 million contracts were set in screens. Didn't yes. matter if they could make a layup, you know? Right. Can you imagine, a, you know, I can mention names right now, but can you imagine so many of these guys that can't, that like can't score anything? Yeah. I played with a few guys that like were screen setters yeah. and they were really good at it. But and they were paid handsomely for it. Paid handsomely. Now you got to be a Embiid to be a, a you know, a high-paid center or a big yeah. man in the league. It's the game's changed, man. Um, so for every episode, we close mm -hmm. with a little segment. We call it our undrafted. Okay. So basically, the theme of this podcast is it's long shots, underdogs. So we're gonna give you three topics, and we haven't actually prepared for this one because I didn't know we were gonna do this with you. But now we're gonna do it. We yeah. got a lot of background. Noise. We might. Are you okay with? All yeah, this we're fine. We're talking noise. into okay. the mics. We're good. Uh, we might cut this, full disclosure, okay. but... <laughs> well, we, uh, we got some good sound. Oh, we got some absolutely great stuff. So basically, okay. we're going to give you three topics. I'm going to give you one. Dave's going to give you one. I'm going to give you another one. Mm -hmm. We want you to give your undrafted, your underappreciated <laughs> answer of each one. So okay. maybe like a diamond in the rough, the hidden gem. Okay. I'll give this a shot. Yeah. So the first topic I have, and, mm -hmm. and I'm going to try to tailor it to you. You kind of keep it in your wheelhouse. I just have no idea where this, this is, is going to be. Good. Okay, go on. The first topic I have is a underrated, underappreciated restaurant in New York City. Okay, I know you're so a big restaurant goer. I am, I am, I am. We actually have a, a nice meal on tap here later. I'm not Do sure where we're going. you remember when we went to that Babo The Babo, absolutely. So there's a restaurant in, it's an Italian restaurant in New York City that for years... Like it's so good. That Fantastic. Every, every year when we go to New York, like my wife tries to come out so we can go to Babo. Yeah. But she didn't make it, so I had to settle with going with this guy. <laughs> and uh, not a bad second option. If I, I think say so myself. Kelly came too, right? Yep. Didn't Kelly, split the check. Bam. Didn't split the check at all. But it's all right. Uh, <laughs> Kelly, wow. I'm kidding, but uh, I think I paid for that, guys. You, you know? did. You're a good man for that. Don't worry about it. I think I saw you that night. Oh, yes. yes. That was the night. It makes it even better. You know, you want to bring this really full circle. One of our, I don't want to say viral moments, but one of our more viewed moments on this podcast is when I told the story about Tao. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the exact same night yeah. that the Tao incident happened. Yeah. You and I had dinner with Kelly and Bam, and I go to see them at Tao, yeah. and I run into the entire coaching staff. And yeah, he freaks I, out. You freaked out. So oh, my gosh. I, I thought I was getting whiffed. This is what I'm saying about this guy. Yeah. Like you thought, <laughs> you always thought the coaching, coaches hated you or whatever, and everybody really just loved you the whole time, but you were for every moment. Yeah. I, I sat next to you ear, on the plane the like, next morning. They're, they're going to let me go. I'm, I'm going to go play in Europe. When, like, when, you just went all Because I went to town. I'm going to go play in Europe. Like, they hate me. I should go. No, you said, you said, I got to go talk to him. Or so you <laughs> yeah. went and you, didn't you talk to Quinny? No, I was sitting next to you on the plane when Quinny came oh, up to the yes. front of the plane. Like, he's going to say something. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm about to get waved. This is me getting waved. And you're like, you're like it's, bumping me, like yeah. giving me a hard time. Like, dude, this might be it, man. And then all he said was like, did you have a fun time last night or something like that? Like, but they know the thing is everyone knew this is his personality and like, he's not going to go out and go crazy. Like they just know, like, you know, you can read the guy 
who who has like the beet red face that's like the it's almost like a, a kid getting caught like you know the, the most like polite well-mannered kid ever like come on everybody knew that yeah, about you. But, for, but that's a great it's a great one that's a great answer for you babo all right, what do we got? Number two. I like this. This is an on-the-spot on drafting. 100%. Is it true you're a Family Guy fan? Um, Someone – actually, I this wasn't you guys. I just had a conversation yesterday about this. Like, I, I could care less about my Wikipedia, but n- nobody knows nothing about – like, it is – there are so many things that maybe I mentioned – for like sure. A, at like 2013 Media Day in New Orleans, you know, like <laughs> Family Guy. Well, is, let me tell you, Davis really does his preparation for the pod. So I'm I sure, I'm sure whatever's yeah. out there, he is well, dug also, up. Also, like Colin Kaepernick, it says like me and him yeah. go way back. Like all play, stuff. Like, I, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. We had one basketball game together. I have no idea. Like there was a time when somebody mentioned to me like, you and Colin Kaepernick, like, are best friends, right? You grew up together. I, I don't know anything about him. <laughs> like, I, like, we had one basketball game. Anyway, um, so are you asking me what is you my can, – You can say no. What I'm is just my curi- show? Well, I'm curious if you're a – it's a weird – it's like a one-sentence weird addition in your Wikipedia. They don't know that I have, like, kids or what their names are or, right. yeah, or yeah. anything. But just, they know you love family like guy. But it's just, I, it's, just, it's just a sentence. I – I like Family Guy. Yeah, I like it. I mean, a, a couple, so what's, it the, what's show, the... Is it my favorite show of all time? You know what it means to me? Like when it shows up and like the theme song comes on, it's kind of like nostalgic to me. Yeah, it's true. Like, like, you know, growing up feeling, you know, yeah. I watch it a lot in college. It brings me back like Great, good times. Yeah. And it's it's hilarious. We all it's need fun. those shows. Yeah. All right, I'm going a different direction. <laughs> but I like... Um, let's go Future Sex Love Sound. <laughs> Can you give me your underrated song on that album? Wow. I, I have what goes around is maybe one of my favorite Ooh, songs of all time, so, and so I great, think it doesn't one. get it gets like the credibility, but, but it's, it's not, not like a, oh, yeah. this is the best song in the album. I love that answer. So great music video, mm. also. Um, the JT's got a lot of great music videos. <laughs> yeah, I mean Timberland is maybe one of my favorite producers of all time. Yep. I make music like you know, I I really respect his like he has a master class i don't do you guys go on master yeah class? yeah so his master class is incredible because he like makes up beats off the top of his head and just like beat boxes and finds a rhythm with his voice and with his beatboxing like he does drums and he says record that and it's an incredible master class you got to watch it because love that the timberland plug is great but his process is just insane, and you can see it in what goes around, like For sure. his transitions, and it's almost two great songs. Yeah, wow, that's a great answer. So yeah. it's like it's like trucker hat JT yep. at his finest, right. you know. So normally these are like kind of like quick hitters. I love that you're running no, with no, no, it. No, no, I think no, no. I great. disagree with that. You, I'm just, I'm, you did not prepare me. I know this. it's beautiful. Uh, my last one is you mentioned having an escape from basketball. What is your favorite or underrated, I guess, uh, non-basketball activity that you use to get away from the game? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's a totally reasonable answer. No, 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 no. Golf, man. Golf. But there might be a little alcohol. Yeah. Yeah, They can coexist. I'm a retired man now. Like I can have a few beers and play golf. Yes, you can. Does it enhance your game or does it take away from it? It relaxes you a little bit. You have yeah. that one beer before you go tee off, maybe, and it's like yeah. you're now if I'm you're ready. playing with people that 
you're not comfortable with too, you want to show out, you know, on the first, first tee. Yeah. Um, but, uh, we've yet to get on the golf course. I know me. you sent me some pics like in the, in the bubble, you know, yeah. and, I mean, he's a natural. I look in that uh, one picture. My game no. is in a really shaky spot. I'm like really inconsistent right yeah. now. And it's, it's, it's been, he has flashes though. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And here's the thing. No, Davis hasn't, hasn't seen me play my best golf. Let me put it at that. I, I feel like golf is. Well, first of all, first of all, if you have any kind of fundamentals or touch, like you're going to be good at some element of golf, I think. Yeah. So maybe are I you, don't know why. Why we? I've been like really gassing him up a lot. Like, oh, he yeah, looks do like less he's of that. Great yeah, I was hoping we to get more I of the really, opposite. Yeah. Actually, you don't play enough. We've never played. <laughs> I don't like it. Like maybe come out and hang out a little uh, bit with your guy. And say play less. Golf. I mean, there is a correlation you. between shooters being good at golf. I think yeah, there actually there was an article written about that. Ray Allen, Steph Curry, Duncan yep. Robinson, too. yeah, Ryan Anderson. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, you're scratch, right? Scratch golf. Yeah, that's what I figured. Yeah. Are, are you being, is that for no, real? no, no, no? Wow. I'm probably a. I don't play it enough to where I would be like a whatever. 10 handicapping, but I'm probably yeah. like a... You have game. I'm like a senior bogey swing. golfer. I'm a bogey golfer. Got great swing. Got I've seen your swing. Yeah. Look great in, in like golf clothes. You're good enough to go out and have a good time. That's the best part about golf. That's the escape part. Yeah. Is like you just get away from it all. You're out in nature. Love that. Have a few, few, few uh, brews. Adult sodas. Know? Yeah. Yeah. Are you allowed to talk about alcohol and all this stuff? We're actually sponsored by Michelob Ultra, so it'd be really? a great opportunity for you to plug Michelob Ultra. Michelob Ultra. And also, <laughs> you can cut that. You can cut that. Um, but, uh, but what's yours? Or am I allowed to ask you guys questions? <laughs> sure. I mean, we're running like a, we're running like an hour and ten deep yeah, right now, so we're going off the rails. All right. I'll ask you each one question, okay? Yeah, right. please. What's the most underrated? Star Wars movie of all time. This is actually like, I'm a Star Wars nerd, so like to hear, maybe he doesn't know anything about Star Wars, number one. Number two. No, I'm going to give you one. I don't appreciate the disrespect that Attack of the Clones gets. Wow, that's a great answer. He knows what he's talking about. Because here's the thing. I was a big Star Wars kid growing up, had all the Legos, had the lightsaber. Like I was, you know, all in. And that's when I was a kid, yeah, was yeah, when yeah, that sure. trilogy came out. So it's the most nostalgic for yes. me, and it just gets shit on constantly. It really does. It's not appreciated. Part of it was the Jar Jar Binks, you know, uh, element in there. Yeah, not, which isn't great in retrospect. But I actually enjoy the, the one, episode one, two, and three. Yeah, agreed. Quite a bit. Like, it, it kind of, it does bother me as well. Yeah. I like that answer. Okay. This took like an interesting turn. Yeah, okay. what do you got? What is the most underrated flavor of cheese? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm trying to keep dairy out of my life. You really? Yeah, I'm trying. So I've heard that, that goat cheese has significantly less dairy. A little healthier for you. Yeah, so I, I, would, say, I would say goat cheese. Goat cheese. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great answer. <laughs> yeah, answer. Like you heard it first. Wow. You got any more? Yeah. Uh, I'll this keep is fun. Doing this all yeah, let's all right. do it. Okay. Come on. Let's what do it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. What is the most underrated? I can't think of the top. Oh, no, no, no. I got it. I got it. I got it. What is the most underrated Disney Channel original movie? Oh, that's a great question. I want to answer that one. Yeah, let me think. Um, Smart Home. No, no, you only get one. No, no, no. Come on. Smart House. Wait, no, no, no. Hold on. You only get one. Eddie's Million Dollar Cook Off. 
Wow, I don't even know what That's that is. Terrible answer. <laughs> <laughs> Awful. You can't if you haven't heard of it, I got Brink. So I'm, uh, I'm a motocross. I love motocross. I was before the times. You Wait, know, Brink LG. is in motocross. It's roller. No, I said Brink's great, and I, can oh. I give my opinion. <laughs> okay. I'm a soul skater for sure. Davis is more Team X Blade. I'm a soul skater. <laughs> <laughs> the shade. You know, my wife uh, actually got like back in the day when there was like AOL, like instant messaging. Yeah. She got an instant message from the Brink guy. Like the the person who plays the main character. The main character of Brink. Wow. Hit tried to hit her up. It's true. Wow. Do we have beef with with Brink? Is it, is it no longer I, I allowed to be my dated. favorite? I wish they had dated so we could <laughs> hang out. That know, would be great. Cool. Um, so let's keep going with this. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm having Because Duncan, you have to go now. Yeah, I have to. Do no, it. I have. I'll get you, and then maybe who asked the original? Let's just keep these going. Okay. What is, what is, okay, no, this is a good question for Duncan. Okay. What is the most underrated city to travel to in the NBA? That's, a, that's, yeah. that's great. You've, you've been asked that one before. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, the hot spots are obviously New York. He didn't ask for I the hot spots. LA, Miami. <laughs> we don't, we he's don't dodging. Care. So I'm he's leaving dodging. those off the list is what I'm saying. Well, yeah. I'm going to say Toronto. Good answer. Good Toronto answer. is a fantastic city. Davis. Yeah. <laughs> what is what is the most underrated uh, the most underrated thing that you've ever done while living in LA? Oh my god. Like something that would really surprise a lot of people, you know? That what a question. It's not as terrible. Good. It's not as good. No, no, no. I can do this. I can do this. Let me ask all the questions. Just give me a second. Because you, you turn this into your thing. Oh, oh. I think it's my thing and I'm going to have a little gray wall. <laughs> Here's an answer for you. Okay. So uh, this was maybe a year and a half ago. You know, have you heard of that blue algae that glows in the dark? Yes, I've never seen that here. 100%. We went and we saw that. It was incredible. You really so, made lemonade out of some lemons with that question. Speaking of Disney Channel, mm -hmm. it was like you were in a Disney movie. Oh, you step yeah, yeah. on the sand and it just lights up blue. You run your hand through. Yep, it, the oh, waves man. are crashing and I heard it glows. About that. It just wasn't intense. Remarkable. Oh, it felt like it was fake. It's a great answer. It's a great yeah. answer. I'm on fire over here. <laughs> Anyways, Ryan. That was a fantastic conversation. Really covered a lot of bases with that one. Uh, but thank you for joining us. You have a fantastic story. You're a fantastic human being. And you have a beautiful home. So thank you for welping. Thank you. Welcome. I'd say all the same things. Oh, I don't. I actually don't own a home. So. No, except for the home part. Yeah. But it, he's going to own a home pretty soon. He needs to invest in real estate. Yes. Right. Exactly. Maybe, Put it all maybe away. around here in Hermosa Beach, everybody. You never podcast. know. Podcast. You know, podcast you, central. Three of us. We'll get a little studio. We'll make it happen. The goal is he doesn't touch the basketball money. He's just living off the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. That's the absolutely. goal. That's the dream. That, that would be the, the dream. dream. Uh, anyways, thank you for joining us, and uh, look forward to doing this again down the line. Anytime.